was doing some reading this week on some different conspiracy theories that people believe, all right? And there's a wide variety of conspiracy theories out there on different things. And so if you are a proponent of one of these, I'm not trying to offend you, but here were five conspiracy theories that I found really interesting. The first one you've all probably heard of, it's very common, and that is that the earth is flat. The earth is flat. And this was popular, obviously, hundreds of years ago, but it's actually started to come back into popular belief that the earth is flat, and if you go too far, I guess you just fall off of it. In fact, there's a society right now that's even promoting this theory and taking donations, and so if you've got a little bit of extra money right now, you can feel free to donate to them. I'm sure they would love your charity. The second one I found rather interesting, and that is Prince Charles of England is a vampire. There's plenty of people who believe that he is a vampire and that he's because somehow they think he's related to Vlad the Impaler, that he is somehow a vampire and that he's afraid of light. The third one is that the moon isn't real. The moon isn't real. That it's fake or some kind of projection up in the sky. Some people believe that Bill Gates is making fake snow. He's somehow making fake snow and making it snow when it's not actually really snowing. And if that were true, then he must be making a lot of fake snow in Indiana, usually when we're not expecting it. And the last one, and probably my favorite, is that the Titanic didn't sink. The Titanic didn't sink in that it was somehow made up as a propaganda, some kind of theory. Maybe they just wanted to make a movie about it. As we hear these theories, they sound crazy to us. They, to most people, they either sound crazy. Some of us might be a little bit more intrigued by them, and we want to interact with them a little bit more. It kind of depends on your personality. Maybe you're just skeptical about all of them. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the resurrection, a, an event in history that many people would say is a conspiracy theory that many people would say is a lie, that many people would say is not true. But friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that the resurrection is real. The resurrection happened. Jesus is alive. And I believe that on Easter, we sing songs, we read scripture, we listen to preaching to celebrate the fact that our Savior Jesus Christ did not remain dead. That after three days, he rose again from the dead confirming that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ and offering us life and salvation to those who would put their faith and trust in him. And this morning, all of us in some way, whether you did this at a long time ago in your life or maybe you still need to do this at this very moment, you need to respond to the resurrection. This truth of the gospel, this truth that Jesus is alive. And friends, how you respond to the resurrection, how you respond to the gospel will change your entire life. And so in our text this morning, we see three responses to the resurrection. Three responses that people had after Christ rose from the dead. And the first one is this. It's a response of worship. It's a response of worship. Notice verse one with me. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. These were the two women that we saw last week were at the crucifixion. They saw the death of Christ take place. It was Mary Magdalene, who most of us know or have studied at some point in Scripture, a disciple of Jesus, a friend of Jesus. 
The other Mary, who's probably Jesus's aunt, the mother of James and John. That's the first day of the week. It's early Sunday morning. And they go, and we find out in Mark that they were going with spices to prepare or to preserve the body of Christ, to make sure that it wouldn't rot away as easily, to treat the body. They did not go to the tomb because they thought Christ was going to be alive. They did not go to the tomb because they were expectant of him. They simply were going to treat the body. And so imagine this scene with me. It says it was very early, dawn, and these women are coming to the tomb with these spices. There's obviously this darkness or this gloominess that is still hanging over them from the crucifixion. And they're standing there thinking that Jesus Christ, the one who they thought was the Messiah, was still dead, that he had been defeated on the cross. It was a somber and quiet scene as they probably walked a great distance and very early in the morning, even before the sun was out. But I just imagine as they're standing there and as they can see the soldiers near the tomb, imagine this scene with me, starting in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Remember, there was an earthquake at the crucifixion after Christ died. There's a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord descends from heaven and he comes and he rolls the stone back. Something they were not expecting to see. We don't know if the great earthquake was caused by this angel coming down from heaven or if it coincided with it. But whatever the case may be, you would be petrified. You would be afraid. You would not know what to do. And in fact, we see this reaction. Notice this angel, his appearance was like lightning. This bright appearance, this shocking appearance that Matthew describes for us. And his clothing was white as snow. Now, in Mark's account, it actually doesn't mention that he's an angel, but just a man. So we know that he came in some sort of appearance like a human. But notice verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. What does that mean? They fainted. They became paralyzed. This awesome scene of an angel coming from heaven, causing this earthquake and rolling the stone back was too much for these Roman soldiers. Now, these soldiers were trained to stand firm at their post. They wouldn't move for anything. But these soldiers who saw this scene could not help but crumble and faint, and it said they were like dead men. And friends, I would reckon that each and every one of us would be that way too if we saw this angel come down from heaven. But the women didn't faint, but rather they see this angel early in the morning and notice what he says to them. He says, do not be afraid. Do you remember what Gabriel told Mary when he comes and he starts telling Mary about who her son would be, Jesus Christ? He says, Mary, do not fear. Notice what this angel has to say. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He knows their intentions. He knows that they were going to see Christ. This tells us that there's no doubt, there was no mystery that Christ actually died. That he didn't faint, he didn't swoon. But if you were there and you saw 
the crucifixion and you saw what happened to Christ, there would be no doubt in your mind that he actually died. And in fact, to make sure that he died, they shoved a spear in his side to ensure that he was actually dead. When the Bible says in Matthew 27 that Christ yielded up his spirit, it actually happened. Christ did actually die on the cross. But as sure as Christ died, notice what the angel says. He says, he is not here. For he is risen as he said. Well, what does that mean, as he said? Well, Christ had said that he would die, that he would suffer, and that he would rise again. And in fact, in some of our different Bible studies here, in the Young Adult Bible Study and the Thursday Bible Study that we have, we've read this over and over again, that Christ foretells that he would die and that he would suffer and that he would rise again from the dead. And it's almost like the disciples aren't paying attention, like they don't get it, like they're preoccupied with something else. And in fact, in Matthew 16, he tells his disciples that he would die. And Peter says, no, you won't. I'll make sure that you don't die. And what does Christ do? He says, get behind me, Satan. For you don't have your sights set on the things of God, but rather they're set on the things of man. You see, in man's plans, in man's ideas of what the Messiah would be, he wouldn't suffer, he wouldn't die. But this was all according to the plan of God. So in one sense, they should have been expecting this. In one sense, shouldn't there have been a crowd of people there waiting on Christ to rise again? To come back three days later, just as he said. But notice there's just two women there who are wanting to anoint his body with spices. And why do you think that is? Why did his disciples scatter? Well, it's because Christ actually died. It's because the crucifixion was such a horrible death and way to die that there was no thought among Jesus' followers that he would rise again from the dead. But that's not what the angel says. He says he's not here for he's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. So I imagine these women come in and they see this tomb. They see where they had laid the body. And in other passages, in other accounts in Mark, the clothes are folded up. They're laying there. They're not, there's no body. They see this evidence that Christ has risen from the dead. And notice what else the angel says. He says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and that he's going to Galilee. Christ actually said, after I rise again, I will go to Galilee and you will meet me there. And so these women depart and it says they leave this tomb. They leave this scene with great fear and with great joy. Other gospel accounts Tell us that they didn't say anything to each other. And can you imagine being there with one of your friends, seeing all of this take place? There's just nothing to say. There's just nothing more you can say. You're filled with wonder. You're awestruck. And so it says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran 
to tell his disciples. And I can imagine as they're hurrying to tell the followers of Christ, the last person they expected to see on the road was, in fact, Jesus. In verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, Greetings. Jesus appears to them. Now, in other passages, they say they mistake them for the gardener, but Matthew doesn't include that for us here. He just says that they meet Jesus. And notice their response to Jesus. It says, They came and they took hold of him. They fall down prostrate on the ground. They're kneeling before him and they start holding his feet and they start worshiping him. They're filled with this sense of awe, of wonder at who this Christ is. This word that Matthew uses for worship, it means to elevate the person that you're worshiping, to bow down, to show submission or to complete dependence on Christ, to show him that he is most highly valued, that he is most highly sought after, to prioritize him with all of your life. Seeing Jesus, seeing that he's alive, that he did not stay dead, does not just lead us to be apathetic. It does not lead us to doubt. It does not lead us to unbelief. But friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, Seeing Christ for who he truly is, seeing that he's risen from the dead, should lead you to worship, should lead you to praise Christ. Why do we sing songs on Easter that praise Christ for his work on the cross and for his resurrection from the dead? It's because it should be our response. Because Jesus did not stay dead because he is alive. And these women, these lowly women, who many people probably wouldn't have believed when they told them that Jesus was alive, these women that meet Jesus, all they can do is fall down before him and worship. And notice, Christ accepts their worship because he is truly worthy of all the praise and all the honor that we can give him. And so in verse 10, he tells them again, do not be afraid. They're filled with excitement and awe and worship and probably still some fear. And he says, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee for there they will see me. We see here a response of worship. They see the truth of the resurrection that Christ did exactly what he said he would do. Exactly what was true according to the plan of God. And they believe this is the resurrected Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one who has saved us from our sins. How do you respond to the resurrection this morning? How do you respond to the fact that Jesus Christ did not stay in that grave for three days, but he is alive? Too often, many of us, as we sing songs in church, we sing as though Christ is not risen from the dead. We sing in apathy. We sing out of duty. Sometimes we don't even sing at all. Friends, Christ is alive. And it's more than just even singing songs and reading scripture and listening to preaching. But responding in worship means responding by giving your whole life 
to him, telling Jesus, here am I, use me however you would, calling upon him as Lord. Friends, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that these things happen just as scripture say that they did? Do you believe that there is a risen Christ who has power over death? These women do, and notice that they respond in worship. But not all people respond to the resurrection in worship, unfortunately. Not all people respond to the resurrection by giving Christ their life. So notice, secondly with me, a response of deception. A response of deception. The scene changes here in verse 11. It says, while they're going, you can see these women probably far off in the distance running to the disciples and the soldiers who fainted probably regathered themselves, probably were wondering what was going on. And notice they go away from the scene. And who do they go to? It says they go to the chief priests, the religious leaders who put Christ to death. They go immediately to them. Now you wonder with me, why did they go to the chief priests? Why did they not go to the Roman government? Well, it's because who sent them to the tomb? As we read last week in Matthew chapter 27, it was the chief priests. These were the temple guard. They were officers that worked for the religious leaders. And when the chief priests go to Pilate the day before, they said, you know, Jesus said he would rise from the, get, the dead again the next day. And so we'd better put guards there to make sure the disciples don't steal the body. So these were the guards that were placed there. And so the guards, probably both out of duty to the religious leaders and out of fear for their own lives being lost, you could die, you could suffer the death penalty for losing the body, they go immediately to the chief priests. Notice verse 12 with me. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, there's this great gathering of religious leaders who are there. They hear this report from the soldiers, and you can imagine they had two options. They could believe that Christ was the Messiah. They could believe that he rose from the dead. They could call upon him as Savior, or they could be deceived. Or they could be deceived. Remember what happened on the cross to Jesus? These religious leaders come up to him and they say, Just come down off the cross, Jesus. This person who could save others, he can't save himself. Just come down from the cross and then we would believe. All the way until the end, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are still seeking a sign. But do you know what the truth is about these religious leaders? They were never going to believe. They were never going to change. Christ died on the cross and rose again, and they still didn't believe. They still reject the gospel. They still reject this promise of Messiah. Matthew shows us quite well that those who should have known Jesus best, those who studied the Bible for a living, didn't know Jesus at all. 
And so they reject him. And even here we see that they reject him. It says they took counsel and they collected a sufficient sum of money. Well, why did they do that? To bribe the guards and to saying this. Tell his people his disciples came by night and stole him away. Now think about why were the soldiers there? What were they supposed to be doing? They were supposed to stop people from coming by night and stealing him away. So they're paying them to lie, to spread this false rumor. Now, if you're a soldier, you're going to say, what about me? Is Pilate going to kill me? Well, notice what they say. And if this comes to the governor's ears, if he hears about this and gives you trouble, we will satisfy and we will keep you out of trouble. Remember, Pilate, part of the reason Pilate went ahead and killed Christ is because he was afraid of a riot among the Jews. Because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders causing this massive uprising. So they knew he could stay under their control. Notice what it says in verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even until this day. The story that his disciples stole the body, that Christ actually isn't risen from the dead, that it's some other conspiracy theory, that it's some other thing you can believe if you're crazy. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. They respond opposite of these women rather than praising Jesus and worshiping him as the risen Christ. They show this ultimate form of rejection. How will you respond to the resurrection this morning? Will you worship? Will you praise Jesus for what he's done for you? Or will you doubt? Or will you be deceived? Will you deceive others? Those who knew Jesus best, those who should have known Christ best, these religious leaders didn't know him at all. They would never call Jesus the Messiah, but they would spread these lies about him to others to try to discredit them. There's plenty of people who say, I would believe the gospel if you could just prove it to me. If you could just show me. Friends, we have no better proof of the gospel than in God's holy word. And if God's word says it happened, then we can believe that it is true. Will you respond to the resurrection this morning? Will you believe that Christ is truly risen from the dead? Or will you be deceived? Notice with me lastly and finally, a response of service. A response of service. The 11 disciples are gathered at Galilee. They see the risen Christ on this mountain. Mountains in Matthew are interesting. The Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. So it's fitting that the book ends with this mountaintop experience with his disciples. They're all gathered around this mountain. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they gave him praise, just like the woman. But you know, I can't get past this phrase in Matthew. I can't get past this little detail that he leaves for us, and it might not seem so significant to you, but it seems significant to me. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. This is the risen Christ right here in front of you. 
Some people think this is other people in the crowd, but he only mentions that it's the 11 disciples who are there. They worshipped him, but some doubted. How could you doubt the resurrection after seeing Christ risen and right there in front of you? Well, the word Matthew uses for doubt doesn't mean rejection, but rather it means hesitation, uncertainty, a little bit of holding back. Is it possible that these disciples, knowing Jesus, seeing the resurrection, it's not a lack of belief, but that they were just slightly hesitant, that they were just slightly holding back at all of it? Now, you might ask, why is that? Well, many of them rejected him. Many of them ran away from him. The crucifixion was an awful event. Could this truly be the Christ? So as I read this, I don't think they rejected Christ. In fact, they would follow him even unto death. But rather, I think the text shows some of their hearts that deep down they still had a little bit of hesitation. Remember Thomas, who wouldn't see Christ, who wasn't, wouldn't believe that he was alive until he felt the nails in his hands. And it says, Jesus came to them, and he gives them this command, these instructions. As a church family, we're going to look more at these two verses next week. But I want to point out a couple things. He says, all authority has been given to me. Not because of the resurrection. Christ already had authority as is seen clearly through Matthew as authority over nature, over demons, over life itself. But rather the resurrection proves that Christ has authority indeed. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go and make disciples. He says, go and serve me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He calls them to service. Following Christ is worshiping Christ. It is believing in the resurrection, but it's also serving him with your life. Going where he calls you to go. Spreading the good news of the gospel as well. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And notice that last phrase, that word behold. Matthew's used it a couple times in this passage. It means to look, to pay attention. It heightens the drama intensity around that phrase. He says, behold in what? I am with you always. These disciples who are still just a little bit hesitant have this promise from Christ that he would be with them always, that he would never leave them again, that he would always stay with them. How we respond to the resurrection this morning. How we respond to the fact that Christ truly is risen from the dead. Some respond in worship and in service and in gratitude towards Christ. Others respond in rejection and deception, not believing in the resurrection. But friends, the resurrection truly did happen. Christ truly is alive. He truly did rise from the dead. So I want to finish our time this morning talking about the importance of the resurrection. Why is it so important that the resurrection happened? Is that when our sins were forgiven? 
Well, no, Christ said it was finished upon the cross. So why is resurrection so important to our faith? Four reasons. Number one, it proves that our faith is valid. It proves that Christ really was who he said he was, that he would rise again. If there is no resurrection, as Paul says, we would have no hope. We would have no confidence that Christ truly was the Messiah. Secondly, if there was no resurrection, it would not prove that the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son. It proves that Christ's sacrifice was not for nothing, but that God accepted what Christ did on the cross. Number three, it fulfills the prophecies made by Christ. That he would suffer and die, but that he would rise again. That he truly was the Messiah. That the plan of God was fulfilled in him. And lastly, the resurrection gives us hope of a future resurrection. That those who have died, that those who we miss, that those who we long to see, we will be resurrected with again one day in heaven. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope that we will be with him one day. And John says we will be like him. But until that day, we must respond to the resurrection. Maybe this is your first time being here, or first time in a long time, and you've never responded to the resurrection. You've never responded to the hope of the gospel. My prayer for you today is that you would believe that Christ is who he says he is. They would talk to one of us about knowing Christ as your personal Savior, knowing that he's forgiven you of your sins and that you can have everlasting life with him. Maybe you've been going here for a long time. Maybe you've been going here for most of your life and you still haven't responded to the resurrection. My prayer is that you would make that decision as well. And friends, for those of us who know Christ, for those of us who call him our Lord, and Savior, may these truths that we sing about never become old. May they never be just words that we say. May these songs that we sing never just become old hat. But may we sing them and preach them and speak them to one another as the church of God, encouraging one another until Christ comes again. And when Christ comes again, we will have hope. We will see our loved ones again, knowing this, that we can have confidence in our resurrection and in the resurrection of those who know Christ, because Christ has risen from the dead. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises you've given to us in Christ. Help us to respond according to your will. Help us to celebrate the resurrection together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.